Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Continuing a series we've been in. Anybody remember what the series is called? Don't look at the screen. A Walk with Abraham. And here's what we've been doing. We've been talking about the fact that you and I are on a spiritual journey. Abraham is the father of faith, but as we watch his story unpack through Scripture, we start to see some things other than faith, right? We start to see a little bit of fear, and we start to see a little bit of failure. And it makes this story relatable to ours. Is, is there anything that we've learned that it'll help apply to our own life? Absolutely. I've enjoyed walking through this. And what we see is along the way, Abraham is continued, um, continually um, given and presented an opportunity to choose fear or faith. And the bigger theme that we've uncovered over the last couple of weeks is this. The obedient faith required in our journey today will actually help us in our journey tomorrow. How many of you know we're being prepared? Everything that God does in your life, he wants to do through your life. And if you'll let him, he'll prepare you today for what you're going to need tomorrow. And we see that in Abraham's life. I want you to see as we walk through these stories that Abraham's journey is a lot like ours. It's a journey of next steps. And every time you take a step, it makes the next step a little bit easier to continue to take. Every time we see Abraham take a step of obedience, he grows. Does that happen in, you, with your, in, in your life as well? Right? Every time God gives you a step, you, you grow, and every time you obey, you grow from that. There's a cycle that we see in Abraham's life. I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can see uh, this in your own life. Here's how it works. God calls you to take a step, and then you choose in that moment. You choose fear or you choose faith. If you choose fear, it takes you off course. If you choose faith, it gives you courage to obey. And then what happens when you obey? Well, that obedience causes growth by solidifying your faith. What do you mean by solidifying your faith, Pastor Don? Check this out. I'm sure you've heard this. Hebrews tells us that faith is a substance. It's a substance of things hoped for, and it's evident, the Bible says, evident in things that we don't see. Think about this. Your faith is a substance, and it's evidence. What is it evidence of? It's evidence of everything that God has ever done in your life up to this point. And every time you trust God and you step out in faith, not being able to see the other side, here's what happens. That faith becomes solid. It solidifies. It becomes the thing that you can stand on today to take the next step in your life. Every time you see big faith in somebody's life, you're not seeing big faith that starts from nothing. You're seeing big faith that starts from a place of smaller faith, obedient faith that they've already taken. And God has proven to them time and time again that he is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. And everything written in his word that is promised to us is available to us. And you're watching people take big steps of faith because along the way they've taken little steps of faith and God has proven himself to be true. Am I talking to anybody in the room today? Yeah. So I wonder, is it possible? Is it possible that we could see some smaller steps in our life? If we'll keep taking them, maybe God will use them to help us. Because here's what I know. Watching Abraham's story, there's always bigger steps ahead. 
right? Let me catch us up for those of you that haven't been a part of this series so far. Abraham's been on a journey. God called him to step out in faith from a place he was very comfortable to a place he didn't know. God says, I want you to go and I'll tell you when you get there kind of place. He was called to go to a land that was already inhabited by other people. That was a big deal. Not sure what that was going to look like for him. He was given a promise that he had to wait on, get this, for 10 years. Waited 10 years for this promise that God had given him. And we talked last week about how he got impatient and he took matters into his own hands. Did that work out for him? No. Do you think it works out for you every time you take things, matters into your own hands instead of trusting and believing in God? No, not, not at all. And then here's the thing that God asked him to do after that. He said, I want you to wait a little bit longer. I want you to wait a little bit longer. And here's what I want you to take away from today. I believe that there's going to come a point in your discipleship journey where the cost will become so high, you might not be willing to pay it. I'm going to say that again. I think there's a point in our discipleship journeys where the cost to obey will become so high that you're going to have a really hard time paying it. You're going to have to choose faith over fear. And you say, no, 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 not me, Pastor Don. Not, not me. I'm, I'm all in. I'm whatever, whatever it takes today. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm all in. And I, I trust you and I believe you. But I want to ask you this question to be thinking about. What happens when God asks us to cut out some things in our lives so that we can better guard his covenant with us? Oh, it's great early on when everything's good and it seems like God's just adding things. And I've got new friends and I've got a new church to go to and, and I'm seeing new things in scripture that I've never seen before. There will come a point in your life where God doesn't start just adding things to your life. What does he start to do? Cutting things away, cutting things away. Look at your neighbor and say this, cutting is part of the process. Now look at your other neighbor, the one that you ignored. And I want you to tell them it's about to get real uncomfortable up in here. Real uncomfortable. Let's dig into scripture. We're in Genesis chapter 17 today. Some of you are wondering, what in the world is he going to be talking about that he had to send his own kids uh, out of the room? Let's dig in. Genesis 17 verses 1 through 8. How many of you remember how old Abraham was when he was first called? 75. 75. Let's look now. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. The first part is a reminder of God's promise and his covenant to Abraham. Now we get to see the second part. This is Abraham's part. Verse number nine. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. 
Every male among you shall be circumcised. Wait, what? I heard a comedian once reenact this story, and, and Abraham is there, and he's talking to God, and God's saying, I'm going to do this. And Abraham's like, yeah, that's great. And I'm going to do this in your life. Awesome, sign me up. And then this is going to happen. I can't wait. And then you, my kids, too, this is going to be great. And all you have to do is circumcise yourself. No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. You want to do what? He goes on a little bit further. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Be honest, ladies. How many of you are really glad you woke up a lady this morning? <laughs> you didn't know Pastor Don would be talking about circumcision in church today. Man, could you imagine going back to the other guys just for a second and be like, hey, y'all, listen, I heard from God again. Oh, what'd he say? I have some good news and I have some bad news. The good news is the promise is still on. The bad news is, well, how many of you know those guys wanted to hear exactly what God said? Don't just summarize. Did he say this and then he said that? Or did he say this before saying that? I'm going to summarize the rest of the story this way. Before God finishes telling Abraham about circumcision, he tells him once more about the promise that he has for him and that he's going to give him a child and how that child is going to come about. He actually says, you're going to have a child, not with your servant Hagar. That was, that was taking matters into your own hands. He says, you're going to have a child with your wife, Sarah. Now, Sarah's about to turn 90 years old. So you can imagine how crazy this, this thought to Abraham. You're going to have a child with your wife, Sarah. You're going to call his name Isaac, and my covenant will be with him. And then he gives him a time frame. He actually says, hey, this time next year, your wife's going to have a child. He may have had to wait on that promise, but how many of you know our guy Abraham didn't wait on being obedient? Look at this, verse 22. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. That very day, as God has said to him. Now, I'm sure some of you are sitting in the room here thinking, what kind of church did I wind up in this morning? Pastor Don, are you saying that I have to get circumcised in order to experience God's covenant promises for my life? The answer to that is you can go see Pastor Sean right after service <laughs> in the multi-purpose room, and he will let you know all the steps. That you know. I'm kidding. Okay, listen, in short, the answer is no. The answer is no, but, but here's what I need you to understand. A cutting will be part of the process. For centuries from this moment, Jews would require circumcision of every male born into Judaism. 
And any adult that wanted to convert underwent the procedure. It actually became a very huge point of contention after Jesus left and the church started to spread across the region. They would starting to require that everybody who wanted to become a Christian had to undergo this Jewish process of circumcision. Every Gentile, like you and I, would have to undergo this in order to be a part. How's that for a church membership class, right? No, you should go read about it in Acts 15. It's a phenomenal story, but I'll give you the conclusion right here. Circumcision of the foreskin is no longer required. You can breathe a sigh of relief here today. But I want you to see something that Scripture says here. Colossians 2, 11. It says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Circumcision of the foreskin is no longer required, but the rest of Scripture takes this concept of cutting away of the flesh to a whole new level. He's no longer speaking of circumcision of the foreskin, but he's talking about a circumcision of the heart. How many of you heard that phrase before? A circumcision of the heart. And every one of us, males and females, have a heart that needs to be circumcised. Look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 5 through 6. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God, look at this, here's the phrase, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Chapter, or chapter 10, verse 12. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all people as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. We even see this in the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 4, verse 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. And I want you to know today, I just want you to take away this. When Scripture talks about the circumcision of the heart, this is what it means. When sinful relationships, behaviors, or mindsets are cut out of your life practically, for spiritual purposes, that's a circumcision of the heart. Their removal allows you to become less like the world and more like Jesus. Less like the world and more like Jesus. This, this concept is all over Scripture. Matter of fact, one of the first verses that Christians usually memorize is Romans 8.28. How many of you could tell me right now off the top of your head? All things work to good. Yep. For what? For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You've heard people say, if it's not good, then it's not done. Do you know the very next verse? All things work together for good, but what happens after that? Look at this. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29. Because, this is why it's important, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I know you love that verse, but I need to tell you, good is not the goal. Good is not the goal. We're not living this life waiting for things to be good because God promised them to us. No, no, no. We're waiting for things to become good because we're in a process of being conformed into the image of Jesus. And the sooner we can get into the image of Jesus, the sooner good things will start happening in our lives. Are y'all following me so far today? There are two kinds of artists that I need you to understand 
And, and this, this illustration will help you. How do you think we become conformed into Jesus's image? You ever thought about it? Do, do things get added to us or do they get taken away from us? Think about this for a second. How many of you are familiar with a painter, right? An artist, a painter. What do they do? A painter starts with a blank canvas and he adds little by little to the canvas until what is finished looks like the art that he saw in his mind until it started to look like it was intended to be. What does a sculptor do? Kind of a different process, isn't it? A sculptor actually takes away little by little. They start with a block of material and they take away little by little until the final work is revealed. And I want you to know that because this life has a way of adding things and attaching things to you and distorting things to your life that keep you from looking like Jesus, discipleship looks a lot more like sculpting than it does painting in your life. God brings us through this process. And I want to share with you a few thoughts about cutting away, this cutting away process in your spiritual journey that we take away from Abraham's life that I think will apply to yours. And I want to, I want to relate with you just for a second because nobody enjoys the cutting away. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. It can be embarrassing even to talk about it. I, I remember one time Pastor Jacob was correcting me over an interaction that I had with somebody. This was early on in my young ministry life, and he had sent somebody to me to, to help them, and I didn't know they were coming, and the time that they picked to, to connect with me wasn't a very convenient time for me, and, and let's just say the interaction didn't go as well as they had hoped that it would go, and Pastor Jacob was showing me and correcting me and helping me, and, and he said, I told him, I said, Pastor Jacob, I, I'm sorry, I, 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 that's not my heart, and you know what he told me? I'll never forget this. He said, oh, I know that's not your heart. But if you keep acting that way, nobody's going to be able to get close enough to you to see your heart. And we need, to, we need to fix this. What was he saying? Hey, there's something there that is keeping others from seeing Jesus in you. And if we cut that away, if we get that thing out of here, other people will begin to see Jesus in you and other people can see your heart. How many of you are grateful that I have a pastor, a man in my life that's willing to have that kind of conversation with me to cut those things out? There's... There's something in the way that doesn't look like Jesus. We need to cut it out. Here's a couple things, a couple thoughts I want to leave you with today, and then we'll go home and stop talking about circumcision and cutting away and all of those things. Some of you are like, I'm really glad I sent my kids to kids' church because he said that C word way too many times today. Here's some thoughts for those of you that are taking notes. Number one, talking about our spiritual journey, talking about our discipleship process, talking about what this looks like, talking about circumcision of the heart. Number one, it is necessary. It is necessary. It was necessary for me to remove some old mindsets and old behavior patterns and old habits in order for me to continue to grow in my journey to become more like Christ. Look what the Apostle Paul tells the church in Ephesus. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned about the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former, former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Abraham had to undergo a cutting before he could go any further. Before God could use Paul, he had to be transformed. Before God could use Peter, the rough edges of his life had to be sanded off. Before God can use you and I, the things that aren't like Christ in our lives have to be cut away from us little by little like a sculptor. 
One of the most famous sculptors of, of our time and in generations past is the sculptor Michelangelo. Look what the quote he said here. He says, the sculpture is already complete within the marble block. Before I start my work, it's already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. It's as if what God is doing on you is already there. There's just things from us that need to be chipped away and cut away so that what God has been doing the entire time can be revealed. How many of you have seen somebody that you didn't know for a long, long time? They became born again, and now you see somebody completely different than you saw the last time you knew them. Anybody? Yeah. Who has said that about you here in this room? Man, what's different about you? God's been cutting some things away. The promise that he had for me was already there. The gifts that he had already put there were already in place. I just had to get all the things that weren't like Jesus off of me in order for other people to see it. The first thing you need to know about this cutting process is it's necessary. Here's the second thing. It's voluntary. It's voluntary. Abraham had a choice. You and I always have a choice when it comes to following God. Even after my eternity is secure and I'm born again, I regularly have to choose between fear and faith, obedience over disobedience. But look at me, church. I always get a choice. I always get a choice. Isaiah 119 says this. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. The verse actually continues and talks about the opposites. If you refuse and rebel. Right? It doesn't say if you get born again, everything God has for you is coming right to you. Boom, you're done. No, no, no. Being born again secures our eternity in heaven. But how we live this life and the choices we make determine what kind of life we get to live here on earth until we get there. It's willing and obedient. It's a voluntary process. What does your spiritual life look like? If we were just to take you and put you up on display and flash your life over the screen of all the things that God has asked of you and the obedient steps that you've had the opportunity to take, what would it look like? Would it look like God and the angels dragging you through life, kicking and screaming, no, no, to do that. Don't take it away from me. Or would it look more like, okay, all right, well, I saw what you did over there. And I don't know that I can see the other side over here, but every time I've taken a step thus far, God, I think I can trust you with this. So I, this is going to hurt and I know, but you have my good in mind and I'm going to step out in obedience. And when I step, I start to see, okay, all right, that wasn't as bad. And, 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 and I look Maybe he's going to continue. Does your life look like that? Where every time God puts something in front of you, you don't have to see the other side because you've seen where your feet had previously been. Because I'm telling you, I think there are people that walk through life saying this. I don't know how I got here. I can't do that. There's no way. Not going to happen. God wants us to look back and say, Every step you've taken thus far has been me guiding you and helping you. And I'm not going to ask you to do something that you haven't been able to do before. How many of you know resisting an all-powerful God doesn't work out well for you? Last night, we were watching the LSU game with a couple of friends, and they were, they were sharing with me some of the, the horror stories of what it was like to get corrected and spanked and whipped and a lot of other things like that, that happened in their childhood. We, we were talking about apparatuses that mom would use to grab us. One of the guys mentioned mom grabbed a belt and he grabbed it and she continued to hit other parts of him 
while he was still holding the belt. I remember about the time, first time I went to get a lick with the belt that my dad used, and I put my hands in the way. I would rather get it on my butt than on my hands any day. I mean, you know, that was the last time that happened for me. And it's crazy. And this isn't, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not recommending you grab a belt and hit your kids. Listen to me. Listen to me. When God does something in your life, you can step out in obedience or you can resist. But how many of you know that doesn't work out well for you when he does that, does it? Number three. Number three. It's necessary. It's voluntary. Here's number three. It's cooperative. It's cooperative. I want you to think about our story. Think about Abraham's story and what God asked him to do. It's God who is doing the cutting, but how many of you know he's going to use other people to hold the knife? God's doing the cutting, but he's going to use other people. Scripture doesn't specifically say who cut on who in this story on the circumcision day, but this is certain. Abraham didn't circumcise himself. No one does. No one does. Not only did he have to be willing to be cut on, someone else had to be willing to do the cutting in his Life. And this is a facet of discipleship that I don't think we talk about often because it's probably because it's not very popular. But we all have areas of nakedness in our hearts that we try to hide, don't we? We all do. And there is absolutely an element of transparency that must take place with others if you're going to grow spiritually. You're going to grow. I'll show you. This is, this is in Scripture. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And James 5, 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to who? One another. And pray for one another that you may be what? Healed. We confess our sins to God so that we can be forgiven. But we confess our sins to others so that we can be healed. Take just a minute and think about your life. Sure, God knows everything. But the things that you struggle with the most, those are the things that nobody else knows. And I love the fact that you seek God and we can go before God and, God, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. I know I, I said that before, but I don't ever want to do this again. And God, would you please forgive me? And I'm so grateful his word is true. And he does forgive us. But I'm telling you, your life would be different if you sat across from a trusted person and you said, hey, can I share with you some things that I'm struggling with? You need those me too moments, right? Not the time when you sit across from somebody and they said, see, I told you so. No, when you sit across from somebody and they say, yeah, me too. I'll never forget the first time I shared with somebody an area that I was struggling with, expecting them to think different of me and expecting them to not want to have anything to do with me anymore and thought, well, here goes this friendship, but I really trust them and I think they can help me. And I shared and they looked at me and they only said two things. Me too. And I'll never forget that moment because then that big thing that I thought I was carrying felt really, really small because now I realized everything the enemy had told me about being alone and all by myself and nobody else would understand started to erode away. And then I started to realize the more and more I started meeting with people and talking with people and helping people. Listen, I'm regularly walking with people that are struggling in areas of their life. And one of the things I tell them every single time without fail, and it's absolutely true, is you're not alone. 
And I think if God's church would realize that we're struggling in the same ways with the same things, the lie that this enemy tells us that we're all alone. No, no, I can't serve because if I serve, then, then I'm, I don't have this area right in my life. And there's no, 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 listen, if you started serving, you'd get up next to somebody and realize that they're walking from that too. And this relationship is necessary. We've got to work together. We, we confess our sins to God for forgiveness, but we confess to others for healing. Maybe the healing that you're missing in this area of life is not going to come from the time you spend with God, but it'll come from the time you spend with others, allowing them to speak to you. It's a circumcision of the heart. And in order to do that kind of cutting on Abraham, not only did someone have to be willing to hold the knife, but they also had to be willing to look at his nakedness too. And it's, it's cooperative. Now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying this is a church full of people that are running around with a Barney Fife spirit and a knife saying, hey, what's God doing in your life? Let me hack some things off of you. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying this is a church that's full of people that have learned that if I'm going to keep growing in my relationship with God, I'm going to need to have some things removed from my life, and I'm going to have to give permission to other people to not only see them, but help hold me accountable to them while they're being removed. This is also the kind of church full of people who are willing to walk with you intimately and privately who can handle your immaturity and who are willing to be used by God to help cut away those things that are keeping you from seeing God's promises fulfilled in your life. It's cooperative. It takes others. Y'all with me so far? I know this is not uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable conversation to have, but it's necessary. It's necessary. It's also voluntary and it's cooperative. Look at this. There will be a point in your spiritual journey where your growth will stall if you don't start including others in the private areas of your life. Pastor Don, I've been in church my whole life and I still feel stuck. Who knows about that area that you're stuck in? Find me, I'll tell you. I'll connect you with somebody who's been struggling in the same area and the two of you can walk out of that together because you're not alone. It's cooperative. Here's the fourth thing. It's also preparation. It is preparation. This is all going to make so much sense next week when you see the end of this series. You're going, to, you're going to see some of the things that are asked of Abraham. You think this ask was huge? Just wait to see some of the things that God's about to ask Abraham. Some of you already know the story. You know, you know what's coming. When, when we get to chapter 21, God's going to make an ask that I hope he never has to ask any of us in this room to make. But I'm telling you, we see this journey. We see this process where every step of the way, God is moving and he's helping us take these little steps so that the bigger steps can be fuller. Let me remind you of our theme today, and then we'll close. You and I are on a spiritual journey like Abraham, and every disobedient step of fear takes us off the path, but every obedient step of faith prepares us for the next one. And I need you to know, I know that thing that God has before you seems big, I know it's a thing that you never thought that he would ever ask of you, but he's wanting it now. And I don't want you to look at the thing he's asking. I want you to look back at the things he's already done, the times that he's protected you, the times that he saved you, the times where there was no money at the end of the month and it still worked out, the time that he sent somebody in just the right place at the right time 
to be able to help you. I want every step of obedient faith that you've taken to bear out into your life and become a substance that you can stand on as you get ready to take the next step of the thing that God has called you to. You don't have to look ahead. All you have to do is look back at what God's already done in your life. Y'all with me today? I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Men, I want you to listen to me, husbands specifically. You need people in your life that can not only know you, K-N-O-W you, but you also need men in your life that can know you, N-O-U. People that can know about you and then people that can tell you no. And I want to tell you with every degree of certainty that is inside of my being, I know that the greatest security my wife has in my relationship as her husband and in my leadership over her. Yes, it's my relationship with God, but it's also the relationship I have with a man that at any time can pick up the phone and check on me and hold me accountable and tell me no because he knows the things in my life that I deal with and that I struggle with. I've never known a godly woman who had trouble submitting to a godly man who was under authority himself. But I know a lot of women, godly women, good God-fearing women that struggle because they don't know if their husbands have that kind of relationship in their lives. And ladies, listen to me. You don't get off the hook either. Sometimes the difference between where you are and where you want to be is what you're willing to walk away from and who you're willing to share it with so you don't find yourself tempted to walk back there into that place. And before we go any further here today, I want to pray for specifically for some people here in the room. Every head is bowed and nobody's looking around. And, and I'm not asking you to do anything other than sit there and listen to the Holy Spirit. But if you say, Pastor Don, I need to get honest. I need to be transparent. I need to invite somebody else to know about this area. Matter of fact, I've known it for a while. I just haven't had the courage to get up and do that. I don't have to know what it is. I don't have to know who it is. I don't even have to know how long you've been struggling with it. But nobody's looking around. I want you to do this. If you're here and you say, Pastor Don, will you pray with me? I need faith. I need courage. I need to be able to trust somebody else in this moment. Right there where you are, I'm not going to ask you to do anything more than what I'm saying right here, right now. I want you to stand up and acknowledge that I need to start including other people in my life. I'm going to pray for you. It's a big step. Big step all across this room. People are standing. Men and women, people are standing. I'm tired of doing this life by myself, Pastor Don. It starts here. It starts here. I need other people. There are things in my life that need to be cut off and cut away. I know God has forgiven me. He loves me. He will never leave me or forsake me. But I'm tired of dealing with this same thing over and over and over again. Those of you that have stood, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Right there where you are, I want you to lift your hands. I'm going to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, that you would begin in this very moment not to have them look forward into what that conversation is going to look like, but God, right now, I pray that you would have them look backwards, that you would have them look backwards at the day they first met you, at the moment you first became real to them, at the moment they didn't know what was going to happen, but they stepped out and they trusted you. And I pray that you would show them the next time 
and the next time and the time after that, every single time, God, that you moved on their behalf. And I pray that that step of obedience would solidify in their hearts right now. I pray for a supernatural courage to come upon every single person here in this room that is standing right now acknowledging, God, I can't do it on my own. And so I thank you. I thank you for them. I thank you for this obedient step. I pray, God, that this would be the first step of many that they take out, that even in standing, God, I saw things cut off of them, lies cut off of them, bad habits and wrong habits cut off. They're believing in faith, God, that you can move through relationships in their life, a circumcision of the heart. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Heads are still bowed. Eyes are closed. Thank you for being obedient today. But you may be here today and you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm new, Pastor Don. I don't, I don't know much about this Christianity thing. I may be new to this church. I'm new to a church like ours for sure. And, and I hope this for you today. I hope you were able to see a few things. I hope that you were able to see that we love God and that we're passionate in our worship. I hope that you were able to see that, that we love God's word and we're very intentional in our obedience. And I hope that you were able to see today that this is not a place and this is not a spiritual country club full of those who are spiritually perfect and have their lives fit together. Quite the contrary. This is a hospital full of people who are trying to get healthy, who are trying to grow, who are trusting not just God, but trusting other people as well. And I want you to know this today. You're on a journey. You're on a spiritual journey, and there's a destination ahead of you. And there's only one of two possibilities. One of those is a destination that ends in heaven, reconciled in your relationship to God, and the other is a destination that ends in hell, the only place where God is not, a place of your choosing, a place of separation from God. And you may not know where you are in your relationship with God, but I want you to know this. He knows where he is in his relationship with you. He loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not waiting to punish you. In fact, he's gone to great efforts to save you. So much so that scripture tells us that while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus to die for us. He loved us so much that he was willing to send Christ to die for us. And I want you to know, I wouldn't be the pastor to you that I wanted to be if I didn't tell you there's a free gift waiting for you today. He's gone to great efforts. Eternal life in Christ Jesus is waiting for you today, but you have a choice. You have a choice. Pastor Don, how do I, how do I receive that eternal gift? How do I know that if I died today, that the next face I see would be the face of Jesus? I would tell you it's as simple as A, B, C. A stands for admit. You admit that you're a sinner, that your life choices have left you away from God. It's taken you on a different path, and you know where that path is headed. If you're here today and say, Pastor Don, I can admit, I would tell you B stands for believe. Believe that God sent his son Jesus to live the life you couldn't live, to die a death that you were supposed to die and pay a debt that you couldn't pay. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I admit, and I believe, I believe God sent his son Jesus for me, then the only thing left for you today is to confess. What am I confessing, Pastor Don? That Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. I tell you often, the Savior part is easy when your life is struggling and you need to get bailed out. But that Lord part, that's the part that brings about the circumcision of the heart. When you say, God, I'm ready and willing to live 
life your way. And if you can admit, if you can believe, and you can confess, I promise you the Holy Spirit is doing a work in your life. I want to ask you before I pray to identify yourselves this way. Those of you that want to be born again today, Pastor Don, I've never prayed again to ask Jesus to be in my life, but I want to know who you are today. I want to ask you right where you are, lift your hands and look up at me. Every head is bowed, every eye is still closed, but if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, be born again today. Reconcile your relationship with God and secure eternity. Keep your hands up. I'm looking. When I look at you, you can put your hand down. Thank you. I see you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Proud of you. Let's go. Let's go. I see your hand. Both of you there, I see your hand proud of you. Hands all up in this room. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else on the floor? Thank you. You too. I see your hand. Y'all do this together, okay? I saw your hand earlier. Back row, I see your hand. One more time. Pastor Don, I didn't raise my hand before, but I know I need to. Thank you. I see your hand. I'm glad I asked. Those of you that raised your hand, I want to ask you to say this prayer with me. It's not the prayer that saves you. God and the Holy Spirit have done that right now by allowing you to admit and believe and confess. But I'm going to ask you to say this prayer with me. Church, let's say this prayer together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. And I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt. And you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate those who were born again.